Hello and welcome back to another episode of the MotoGP Extra podcast. I'm Reese, and joining me as always to discuss the events of the weekend is Dill. Now of course, MotoGP back to the Red Bull ring this weekend. A very, very interesting weekend. Lots of different things happening, so we may as well get straight into it with Moto3. So, it was a bit of a breakaway group, wasn't it, at the start of it? What did you think to how those guys got to the front, sort of broke away from the rest of the pack? Because you'd expect that maybe at Austria with the long straights that they'd actually stay together. Yeah, it wasn't the usual race or even the race I was expecting, to be honest. I was expecting a a train from 1st to 15th. Uh, early on, a couple of riders made a break, a couple went with them. And then the Messiah incident, which we get them into, really split them up and split them out to kind of a group of four and then the rest of the pack. And then a couple of riders managed to kind of cross the cross the bridge and get across the other group. But it was quite surprising. I know as of late in Motor 3, the last couple of years, maybe since kind of 2020, the kind of traditional corner speed, slipstream, corner speed, slipstream race, um, how would you say, kind of the way the race plays out is slightly different to what we have now where they slightly square off corners more um, stop and start is a bit more common in the class so the bikes are changing the riding styles are changing I think the modern day rider is slightly different to what we would think of a, a lightweight rider but it means that a lot of time you'll come to track and in your head you think of a perception that oh yeah it's going to be a real slipstream battle and in qualifying it was it was very messy qualifying with a lot of people trying to sit around wait for toes, people sitting on apexes and all sorts of rubbish as usual. But um, you know, it definitely wasn't the race I expected. I, I was quite surprised that we had such groups, and definitely think the Messia one really changed the face of the race. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one. I thought that it probably would be one big group, but I did think that because of the nature of the circuit with the hairpins, it was possible that it could break up because, like you say, these days they do square the corners off a lot more. I think when they're trying to push for lap time, they probably still do go for the corner speed route, but I think, you know, in a race, it's better to be quicker into the corners because you can just overtake people. Whereas if you try to carry the corner speed, all of a sudden someone dies on the inside of you, there's nothing you can do. So I think that is the way. I mean, you made a couple of mentions there to the Messier incident. May as well talk about it. So I'm not sure exactly what happened to his bike, but coming sort of through the, the fast S's towards sort of the straight before, like turn, so I guess it's like turn eight that we're going through, turn seven. And his bike sort of cut out with uh, quite a few riders right behind him. Somebody hit him. Was it Suzaki that hit him on the back? Yeah. Yeah, Suzaki hit him on the back, which could have been an absolutely nasty incident. Like so many other, a couple of the other riders around him had to sort of pick the bike up as well. And that's kind of what broke up the pack. One of those things where it can happen at any time. And it really is scary when you see it. I mean, just the way his bike just sort of stops immediately, I guess, because you're accelerating so much on the straight. All of a sudden your throttle's not working anymore. And he was lucky. He was very lucky. We were, we were very lucky that it wasn't a bigger incident. Obviously, it was just a bit of contact. They both stayed on, so it wasn't too bad. But it could have been an absolutely horrendous incident, couldn't it? Yeah, it's it's one of those typical incidents where I think we had one, I want to say 2012 Malaysia, where in Moto2, basically, if something happens to a rider front, the riders directly behind usually can't shut the throttle and get out of the way. It's the ones that are six bikes back that are pinned in front just like they part to see and then bang to someone doing 60 miles an hour slower than them and they just hit them. Sasaki was so lucky, grazed off him. It could have been a broken leg from a sea the way he hit him. Also, the front uh, front bars could have been taken out of hand. Sasaki, he was lucky to continue. We were lucky that Messi and they kind of just graze each other instead of actually a thwack because that would have been a leg breaker. It would have been a big crash for Sasaki. That could have ended both their seasons and maybe even worse if it went badly. Also. 
yeah and it's you come out of like you said come out turn seven you change direction really aggressively for eight fast bit of track as pretty much most of Austria so it was one of those scary incidents and it's just it's horrible because it's happened before where exactly the same thing happens where someone has a moment someone has a mechanical the riders always directly behind can see it happening and they get out of the way it's the ones that are unsighted being unsighted on a racetrack is one of the scariest and most kind of deadly things that can happen really so we are very lucky the outcome of what happened we still don't really know exactly what happened uh initially we thought chain jumped off change direction small whatever wobble chain jump but there's no sign of the chain flying off usually the Dorna cameras are pretty good at catching a chain fly off or, or something actually happening so uh, it looks like just it packed up seized whatever happened we don't really know so it's a strange one and i probably would say that's his season done in terms of championship would you yeah, I would say so. I think it was kind of already going down a little bit with the, the crash. Obviously, Silverstone wasn't too bad. He crashed at Silverstone, Holgado crashed at Aston, so they almost cancelled each other out in a way. But of course, he was already a bit behind him. If he hadn't had the crash at Silverstone, I'd say he was still definitely on for it because he's looked really, really good the last few rounds. And, you know, he, he could very well have won today. You don't know actually what would have happened. I think he would have struggled on the Honda, to be quite honest, but you never know. But I think probably that is the championship over. And like you said, we don't know what happened yet. Uh, I imagine it'll be an electrical problem regardless. You know, that's usually what you get told. So uh imagine that will be the uh, the official party line. But what actually happened to the bike, I guess we'll probably uh, never find out. But from one rider that had a pretty bad race there to one that had a very, very good weekend, Colin Veyer really making a name for himself in Moto3s. He's had some signs of brilliance so far. Was he on the front row back at Saxon Ring, if I'm not mistaken? Something P3, like that. P3, I think he was, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, P3. So he's had a couple of sort of moments, but this time he really has made that step. And to be fair, very kind of surprising. Like, obviously, he's been making progress throughout the season, but you wouldn't expect him to be the kind of rider that in his rookie season would just put it on pole straight away. He's put it on pole here at the Rebel Ring and then rode a really good race to fourth place. It's a shame that he wasn't able to finish on the podium, but I was really, really impressed with him. I imagine you were probably were too. Yeah, it, it was one of those riders where you think, great, he's on pole, but will he be able to sustain it? And I think even the, the world feed and the BT or TNT commentators kind of uh, were kind of doubting that maybe if we got a runaway pack like we did, that he probably would get dropped a small bit and probably end up having a lonely race, but he was actually there the whole race. Uh, it just came to the last few laps, the top four, five, whatever it was. He was just kind of felt like that. It was the Mavic Vinales syndrome of, I'm here, but I'm only here just to match with you. And I have nothing else. I can't go anywhere with this. Like, where I'm keeping you under pressure. So if you run wide, I can overtake you, but there's nothing more. And I felt like that was just his uh, just his limit today. But nonetheless, fabulous race moment. And the fact he's on pole, we've already seen him put out some good laps in previous rounds. And I think if I remember correctly in Saxon he didn't have the best of race so he kind of went backwards if maybe even crashed if I'm thinking of the right race but today showed anyway there's no fear of his pace and he's definitely got under the radar if you think of the likes of Alonso have come through there's a lot of Spanish that have come through over the last couple of years where they've won CV they've won Rebel Rookies they're tipped from the age of 14 and they, we've known about them but Veyer came up and he's been obviously a hot property but they're all hot property that's kind of the thing so he's kind of been not really talked with as much as like of Zalanza who won last time out and that's probably why today's role seems a bit better but I say the Dutch the people from the Netherlands have probably kept him kind of kept quiet about him because he seems to have gotten to a level that he's quite competitive without a lot of banging of a drum about him so I'd say they're 
probably looking at maybe a future star in the class and we'll see where he can go obviously we have Zonta and Moto2 and, and Bob Schneider so there's a couple of Dutch riders so maybe we could see a Dutch rider in the top class in the coming years I don't know but today's result for him and it was brilliant he'll only go from here massive for confidence and a, a track like this it's quite weird so it'll be uh, it'll be nice to see if he can back it up in the next couple of weeks yeah hopefully he'll sort of build a little bit of form I think he was the first pole sitter in the lower class since Jürgen van der Gerberg back in the day so it was a, a very very long time since we had a Dutch rider sit on pole position I thought maybe Bo Benchardt had actually got one in Moto3 at some point but I guess not he did struggle with uh, his size I think Veyer is quite a yeah. big guy too like he's quite tall so yeah, uh, it's he good that he's showing some... some talent now because he might struggle a little bit due to his height, bit like we've seen with riders in the past, and it might allow him to get up to a bigger bike in a couple of years, you know, because they know the talent is there. But hopefully, he can try and build on it. And like you say, it's a bit of a weird circuit, so it'll be interesting to see if he can build on that form for the, the next rounds. But a couple of quirky tracks he has been quite good at now, so I guess uh, guess we'll just have to see how it pans out. It's with a good team, so it it could really go up, and he's got a good teammate that to try and learn from him data to look at so yeah hopefully Colin can build from here but another rookie then that was very very impressive obviously in the last race going from last place to first as I saw online there was a joke going from first place to last this time unfortunately for uh, poor old David Alonso he was he was looking really good once again I mean he's clearly made a step in confidence obviously got his first podium back in Jerez so he's, he's been up there pretty much the whole season I think he had his like, first like top 10 finish in like round three so he's he's been up there like the entire season but obviously, he's crossed that bridge, made a first win in the last race. Again, looked really good, looked fantastic all weekend. Looked like probably the fastest rider all weekend, to be quite honest. Gets up into the lead of the race, and then pretty much immediately crashes at the chicane. So, yeah, I, I just such a shame. Such a shame for a lot. So, I didn't expect to, him to go down. I've been very impressed with him all weekend. Very impressed with him last weekend. But, yeah, it was just a bit of a shock and a bit of a shame to see him fall out of first place. Yeah, to be honest, he was the quickest guy all weekend. I was shocked when he didn't get Paul. Uh, it was just one of those kind of Moto3 sessions where whoever got the perfect kind of slipstream and perfect run and the right time at the, at the right time, right place, right time. Uh, and unfortunately, he just didn't get the probably lap in qualifying because on Saturday morning, he was like half a second clear at one point of everyone. So he really showed great pace. Uh, kind of got caught up as well in the Messi incident. So he was one of the riders that made the bridge of the gap. So... He definitely had speed, and it was a probably what you would call a rookie mistake. Probably got to the front, used maybe slightly too much tyre, thought that, bang, I'll smash through these guys and I'll disappear up the other side and I'll just gap them, and probably doesn't know his limits yet, and that's probably just what we saw today, and it was a shame to see him crash because, the, as we'll get to them in, the last lap was absolutely epic, and another young, feisty rider would only have made that even more interesting, and it could have been even more crazy, but... He has a lot to learn still. I know he did brilliantly in most of the season. He's been brilliant getting his first podium in a race win in Silverstone. There's a lot to come from Alonso yet, so I'm, I'm keeping a keen eye on him to see how his season goes. But today is just one of those one of those races where probably probably could have won if he didn't have the incident with Messia, and then probably blood went to the head, rush of blood, and all that can happen. And when he got back to them, thought I'm king of the world here and he'd probably keep pushing on and just a small mistake at a corner to be fair that probably was into double digits for crashes over the weekend it's it's really rippled in there so um yeah it was, it was an unfortunate mistake but again he learned from this and he'll come back stronger yeah it was it was one of those corners where it's easy to fall off i don't know if he just clipped the white line on the way in i'm not too sure that was my first sort of impression of it but either way it is just one of those things it doesn't matter he's not in the championship fight so 
it's just something you can learn from. But I think we could both agree it's probably he's probably going to be favourite for the championship next year uh, based on the performance really, yeah. so far. I think uh, obviously it does depend who stays in the class, but even still, I think he. Uh, it's probably looking like he could be yet another fast Aspar rider. I don't know where I've heard that one before. I think he's uh, must be quite good at picking out talent, older Jorge Martinez. But of course, you did mention that another fast rider at the front would make that last lap battle even better, but it couldn't have got much better, could it? It was fantastic battle. Holgado was really getting his elbows out. We've not particularly seen him look so aggressive, I don't think, this season. I thought he looked a little bit desperate at a couple of spots, personally, but I think he did probably manage it quite well, of course. He led most of the way, but then he's had a, a pretty good battle with Sasaki. Onshu then actually comes through a very reminiscent move to back to 2020 in the MotoGP race when Spagro and Miller both ran wide. It was a similar thing, although they kept it on the track this time, and it allowed Onshu to sweep through at the last corner as they ran wide as Holgado sort of dived at the inside. Him and Suzaki both ran wide, on shot the inside, so it was down to the last corner. That's always what you want to say about a three race. And it was clean also, so that's that's also a bonus. Yeah, it was really aggressive, really on the edge, really close. I think did uh was it Sasaki and or the two Red Bull bikes, did they coming out of the downhill turn four, did they kind of go side by side and touched on I think the last it was Suzaki so and Holgado that touched on that. Yeah. yeah, I remember two riders coming very close in a small little contact. It was brilliant. And like I said already, if Alonso's in there, it would have been immense just to see what he could have done because he seems like a, a wily fox already in, in the last battles. But you do mention, all right, that Holgado, I reckon he probably he's probably at the point now where after thinking of crashing Assen, I kind of want to start maybe winning a couple more races. He probably wants it in his head. Maybe I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I'd say maybe he's thinking if I win a couple more races and instead of coming third or whatever, that I'll just stretch the points gap so I can take the pressure off when we go to the flyways, when you go to the likes of Indonesia where the weather can be 10 seasons in one day. Uh, Sepang can be the same. You never know what you're going to get in Buriram. So tracks like that where... Maybe he had a really tough last year. He's maybe thinking that far down the road. He seems like a quite an intelligent young man. So maybe he's thinking that I need to capitalize on the European round. So if I have a mare when I go to the flyaways, I won't have as much stress if I have a bigger points lead. But for whatever reason, they seemed like they really, really wanted to come first. Came second by two, two hundredths of a second or something ridiculous. Yeah, it was a complete photo it's... finish. It was ridiculously close to photo finish. As is they carried him across the line, I had no idea, no idea at all who won it. Um, I was just going by the timing tower, and it was on two. But no money in the world could have told me how much, how close they were, and I couldn't have guessed. I wouldn't be able to put money on either of them who won it because from the TV camera, they literally crossed it in, in symphony. It was it was brilliant to see. Uh, Sasaki did so well. He's someone that he's not always the best in these last laps. He ends up maybe going too early, and I think again today he did. Um, he was so quick through. Turned seven, eight, that he could have made a pass into nine and probably held it in ten to the line. And then went in turn one. And then you're thinking, oh, probably shouldn't have done that. Then got passed down into turn four. Or he got passed into three, then repassed them into four. Then they were side by side and he lost out from that. And that's kind of how it all planned out for him. And that was his race run until the last corner. And then there's all the moments. And then you have two Red Bull bikes that are literally, might as well one of them crossing the line. And fortunately, Sasaki again just just kind of got on the wrong side of everything again as, as he kind of does really uh, Sasaki seems to be of a Moto3 rider he seems to be the one that likes to get out front kind of open the corner up sweeping lines and is probably not the best battler and I think a lot of times in his head he's like oh, I have to go I have to go I can't leave it too late I can't make three passes on the last lap whereas 
likes of Holgado, he seems to be able to do it a bit better. And obviously, we know Anshu is ridiculous when it comes to overtaking and his his skill and the way he can drift a motor tree bike in. And uh, Anshu, winner today, I must say, I'm really impressed with him because we talked about him before. Remember back in um, Argentina where he just was over the limit everywhere? Yeah, that was he seemed to have, wasn't it? He's, he seemed to have learned from that, really, because he's definitely settled down. He was definitely probably the calmest head today, which is not what you'd say about Dennis. In fairness, he's, he seems wild, but he was... Uh, He's just started to maybe figure out the puzzle a bit that I need to be here at certain times and he's probably going to continue to win races. It's all but confirmed that he's going to go up to Motor 2 to the IO team next year, uh, replacing, I imagine, Acosta or Arenas. I think Arenas is out, so it'll probably be a new um, yeah, I think it'd be tuner riders in the IO. So it'll be good to see him on a Motor 2 bike. He is quite tall. Could be both so of them. Could be on you and Holgado, to be fair. I'd be su- you think I'd, I'd be surprised if Holgado went up that early. Yeah, but if he wins like, a championship, like... he's not going to stay. Yeah, true. That, I, that's I, what I I'm still thinking. Think, yeah. Mm, yeah, I see I see what you mean, but would it be too early, too quick, too soon to, like, I, I don't know. I, I think that it would be too much for him to go up straight away two seasons in Motor 3. And it, I think he needs maybe another year, even if he wins it, go up as a two-time winner. That would be that would be some statement to go up as a two, yeah, two-time no Motor 3. Yeah, have they, so... So exactly, like records are there to be taken, so maybe he'd try something like that, but he says to win this one, I suppose. But, um, yeah, that's be, true. I, that's true. I we're a bit carried, <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah. He'll, he'll win next year, he'll win this year, then he'll go up and do a double in Moto 2. Uh, he is quite tall as well, though, so maybe, maybe Io has him lined up. Aki Io has, a, has an eye on that, but from what we can see, obviously, you know, Pedro's going up to GP, but Arenas is, is going to lose his seat. He is looking like he's going to. Um, Fantec apparently, so we'll see how that well, goes. I've heard but... everybody's going to Fantec, they've got about know, like, 20 yeah. riders signed and they've got about <laughs> two seats. So. It's like the KTM GP yeah. syndrome, where they're gonna go two is up, like, <laughs> but yeah, so crazy race down to the last corner, down to the last run to the line. Nobody had any idea it was gonna be that good. It was so clean as well, which is always, which is always in the back of your mind in Model 3 that one of them is gonna trip himself up and take out three of them. But in fairness, today they were all inch perfect so it seems like you're saying that when Onshu decides to uh, use his head there's, there's a clean race <laughs> possibly yeah <laughs> these two facts are connected but yeah um, I think to be honest we talk about Suzaki I think he defended too much into turn 9 like, he was way too far on the inside like, no yeah. one was going to be able to pass him into there because he was so fast I mean maybe he didn't know that I guess because we have all the TV yeah. shots so we knew that but no one was going to be able to get alongside him so I think he went too defensive there and left him open to the uh, the last corner passed but yeah, Onchu played it perfectly. I think he knew today that if he passed anybody in the corners, he'd just get dragged to the line anyway or, you know, dragged like at, towards the next corner. He said that as much in his yeah. interview. So I think he just decided to try and pick up the pieces from their battling, which, yeah, he was up to second at one point earlier on the, the lap when uh, Holgado ran, obviously, Sasaki wide. I think he actually, I think he led very briefly there, but they both dragged back past him. So kind of case in point right there that uh, he clearly was losing a lot of time on the straights. And then, yeah, just... The thinking man's ride. I mean, it's the the Oliveira strategy, isn't it? Which is definitely he's definitely a thinking man's rider. So yeah, it was a surprise to see from Onchu, but maybe maybe he is finally sort of learning. Probably as well now that he's got that first win off his back, he, he doesn't feel like he needs to dive on everybody like to try and get the win. Hundred percent, yeah. Like he probably thinks like right, we can try and do this through like strategy rather than just dive bombing people. Like I mean, he almost he basically won his first race like like that. Really, he sat behind Suzaki for a long time and then just passed him right at the end. So yeah, it was. Uh, a good ride from Dennis Onchu. And uh, since you said you might be moving up to Moto2 next year, that kind of brings us on to 
Moto Tim, a bit of a probably bad segue there, but you know, or whatever, doesn't matter too much. It was a lot of crashes early on in the race, a lot, lot of crashes throughout the race, actually, in Moto 2. It was not many riders going back on. I think literally the top 20, I think, were the only riders that didn't crash. And there's like 28 riders in Moto 2, so I think there was like at least eight crashes, something like that, which is pretty remarkable, really. There's like, a lot of accidents, but. I think it is, it's one of those tracks that's easy to crash. There's so many sort of slow little corners. That chicane, like you mentioned earlier when we were talking about uh, Alonso crashing, it's very easy to crash. Hot, greasy conditions. So it was a very chaotic race, wasn't it? There's so many crashes. They all came early as well. And I think that, I always feel that Moto2 gets shafted with times of their sessions because they go after GP for most of the weekend and in the race before. So the rubber's always different. It's always at a different time of the day. The race time is like, they rarely get to go at their actual race time. So a lot of times you come to an actual race for a motor two and the conditions are totally different to what they've been doing all weekend. You've just different track temperature, you've different rubber down, you've all sorts. So it probably is a part to why motor two can sometimes be a bit boring because they can have to, they all have to kind of manage a small bit and kind of just figure it out. But uh, Arenas crashed twice Joe Roberts crashed there's so many riders that like we're not talking backmarkers or rookies here like these are top riders and top teams that were crashing Canna crashed um, he's nearly nailed on every week to crash he, he's literally like Mirren GP he's ne- not like how many times they crash a week like he's the most crashes in the class it's just it's unfortunate for him at the moment because he's someone I kind of look at like Dennis Ancho where until he gets that win, he's not going to be right. And he's always going to have it in his head. And it's got to the point now where he even told us what the Dicky Bow was about. She's come out with all these interviews saying that he's not going to go to the GP because of the tattoos and they won't take him. And he feels discriminated. And he's probably got a bit of backlash from that in the press because I don't think it's true, really. He's not got a, a concrete GP offer because, well, prime example is look what he did today. Like, he, he wasn't... I believe he, he may have lost sponsors from it. I, that I can believe, but I don't think it's costing him yeah. a GP ride. Because he's, he's not even won a Moto Two race, so I've I've never I've never seen him being heavily linked to a team. No, I know Joe Roberts was meant to go to Aprilia at like Scott Redding time around then after Scott Redding was leaving. If, if I remember correctly, I think that kind of period. Twenty one, I think he was supposed to go. Was there. it twenty one? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, so he he's one rider I know who has lost an opportunity and probably kicked himself really with the current Aprilia. But he said but... no, so fault. Well, yeah, yeah it's, I know, but at the time that he was... It, was, when they it seemed them, like the right decision at the time, but... Exactly, yeah, exactly. Now, yeah. So, in, in terms of Canada, I don't think there's any... Like, they'll always probably reach out and be like, we might... We are one of riders we might want on the bike. Like, there's... Everyone is always talking to everyone just to kind of keep themselves in the, the merry-go-round of the silly season. So, maybe he thinks that teams have approached him for a promotion to the GP class and haven't picked him because of the tattoos, but to be honest, like you're covered head to toe in letters and a helmet I know you can see his neck like but don't, I, 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 he, I think he, he leans into the tattoos too much Um, I personally don't think it's in, that much of an issue like yeah, if you perform it was a on weird Sunday comment, wasn't it really yeah I, I feel like it's something why well, has it happened with with uh, Canada is he's got in his own head he was hot property in Motor 3 for a good two three years where he was the kind of up and coming guy and he was really small and he was really quick and a good team one few races had a couple of goals at the championship even then he used to like underperform and crash a lot though percent. I, I these tendencies have always been there and, and like, again there's no question of his speed on his day and he's very he seems to be a very good qualifier but the issue is that 
come Sunday in the last five laps, he's never where he needs to be. And if he is, he'll end up somehow trying the way he's he's a good habit of crashing when he's in good positions or weekends where he seems to have the pace somehow ending up starting, going back to eight and have nothing and then crash over there as well. So he needs to start out crashing, but again, I think it's a direct correlation that if he ever gets that win, his performances will just come on tenfold and he'll really flourish in because it'll be a weight off his back and if he started to perform more consistently and got a win or two, he then actually might be considered for a GP seat. So it's a it's a harsh merry-go-round for him the way his career is at the moment because uh, at the moment we believe his team won't be in the grid next year as well. So he's probably thinking of trying to trying to put all his feathers out and try to impress some other teams in Moto2 to get himself a seat because yeah, he's another fair. rider that's been fan as well. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's one of the guys on the front. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's uh, back to the race today. It was surprisingly as many crashing because, again, they weren't really the rookies and they all came in the same. Like, there was, I think, like three or four laps in a row where at least one person crashed into Chicane every lap. So, yeah, Lopez it was, it was just a there. weird race. Binder and Lowe's obviously went down together there. Although, yeah, we never saw that back, which was weird. Uh, I've seen uh, stills of it. Basically, Binder just lost the front in the second part and Lowe's couldn't avoid and Lowe's actually hit Darren himself. Ooh. And and whenever the handlebars, that's why he ran over to him straight away because he was checking it was all right. I saw that he tweeted directly, literally. Well, they were probably just on the race, and he tweeted saying that that basically what happened that he couldn't avoid a crash yeah. rider, and that's what happened. But uh, again, un- it was an unfortunate way. But uh, yeah, just early in the race, it just seemed that like they were missing that bit of data, and that kind of maybe I think maybe all the bikes were set up wrong because we'll get to a cost in a minute, and his his race kind of went weird, and again. I think the bikes just weren't reset really up for the conditions that they had, and that would explain some of the crashes. Yeah, I think I think that probably is it. I think it just just weird conditions. And like you say, you make a really good point of saying that basically they run after MotoGP the whole weekend. Then when it comes to race day, they run after Moto Three. So, you know, sometimes there is the jokes about the Michelin rubber, and the, especially when it comes to MotoGP and Vinyal, it's a Dunlop rubber kind of thing. But it clearly does make a difference when that rubber is laid down. I think it does provide very good grip for the Moto Two riders when the Michelin rubber is down. So it does. It does change things. It does change things quite a lot, and uh, yeah, I think that's why we often see a lot of incidents in Moto Two. But Ayagora, a rider who's had a pretty tough season, to say the least, because he had the injury from the preseason and just just trying to come back from it has been difficult. But he had a good round back in Assen, kind of went missing again in Silverstone. But the circuit where he really looked strong. In previous years, I think he's been on pole position here. I think he's won a race here. He's been very good at the Rebel Ring over the years. And he's sort of backed his best back on the podium. Really good race from Agora. Looked like he potentially could have fought for the win today, but he didn't quite have the pace. And the, the other two managed to just pull away from him, of course, Acosta and Vietti. But he, he managed to hang on to a podium. Another podium for him. Just another step on his comeback, I would say. Yeah, I, I type up to notes as the race goes on. And over the weekend, I kind of know sort of what I'm doing for the podcast and I always love when I get to stick Ayagora in because I love talking about him because he's just everything about him I love the way he rides oh, just, the way he was sliding into what the downhill left it was unbelievable every lap uh, it looked like he was going to go down yeah it's just yeah. Uh, there's, there's a couple of times where like he goes out of shot you're like Jesus no he's not going to be there when, he, when the camera turns he's going to be in the gravel and then somehow again and he was so quick through that he's just everything if you go back to Mitegi last year him going into the, the 90 degree left and stuff like that it was so so good He's just, it's a shame that he's, his injury and how the season last year ended and stuff like that, because in my opinion, he should be a double world champion. He should have won the Model 3 title. I think Arena should have been black flagged for that incident in Valencia where he came back out when he had crashed and started battling. That should have, 
for me, right, I know I'm going to I keep going back to this. I always bring this incident up when it I get It comes up a lot. It does come up a lot. <laughs> he should have, that should have been the kind of determining factor in that championship. He should have lost the championship because of that. I still don't understand why he didn't get a bigger penalty for that. Spanish mafia, as, as they, a lot of people would say, like, but it was just, it was ridiculous. But anyway, back I to today's race. Anything. I, th- I think they did he disqualify didn't know, they him. That's all they that did. Was it. That he was... didn't get another penalty, did he? Yeah. Oh, man, what an injustice. Anyway, um, Agora seems to be after finding it. We come to track, we have to break late. Look who shows up, Agora. He's so good on the brakes. Um, very, very Japanese. Was so unhappy that he finished third. God only knows what his interviews must be when he's finishing like 14th. Because he was like, I think his post-race uh, interview was, uh, I'm not very happy. I'm annoyed at myself. Um, I made too many mistakes. And like, he didn't really do much wrong from what I could see. And I always keep an eye on him because, again, he's probably the one I'd be... I am i don't really try to have favourites anymore as I've gotten older. I've kind of... I, there's riders I like more than others, but I don't support one rider more. I think when Valentino ended, I kind of... not I kind of probably subconsciously didn't want to pick one rider as uh, I just want to enjoy the sport and I can enjoy when others win and I enjoy when there's a, a battle and stuff but in Motor 2 Iagor is the one I, I always keep an eye out and hope he does well and um, just with the injury at the start of the season the kind of misfiring form it looked like the team as well struggled this year uh, again I always think if you have a really good season you have to go again you have to go so deep and have such determination to go again and rebuild and find something to go more. And after losing the championship like they did last year, it probably was a big hit to the whole team. Igor as well, then the injury and just does a lot of building blocks to where we got to. But he seems to be, in terms of speed and riding back to where he should be at, um, would be tipping him probably for next year's title if there wasn't a Dunlop change. I don't know, or a... The Prelli tyres coming in, the Dunlop's going. I just don't know how that would suit someone who's so kind of aggressive on braking and drifting it in. Um, I suppose Top Rack does it, so maybe if you're going to go that, down that line. From what I can see and what I've read, the Moto2 teams will be getting a very similar tyre to the Superbike, current World Superbike tyre, so that would be kind of what they're riding on. So if Top Rack can do it for a full 40-minute race, you can imagine Moto2 bikes could do it, but... I suppose we won't really know till next year, but uh, overall, it's good to see him back to a podium, a couple of podiums over the last few races. His championship's obviously long gone. This year, he just needs to win a couple of races. And if he does build confidence, come back, stay fit, we could see him really, really strong next year and then maybe end up on a Honda in GP in 25 if they sort their stuff out. Please, God. Because I'd hate to see him go up and be what Nakagami is now, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that's why he kind of chose not to go up this year himself. Um, obviously it turned out to be a very good thing because he got injured in pre-season anyway and uh, he wouldn't have been one to carry an injury onto the Honda, that's for sure. But yeah, it was uh, nice seeing back. Uh, obviously you mentioned that the team has been struggling as a whole. Chantra was also pretty quick this weekend. Uh, I think were they were third and fifth, was it? I think. Yep. Dixon yeah, so, fourth. Yeah, Dixon fourth. Yeah, actually that is one mistake that Agora did make after he passed Dixon and was sort of starting to close in on uh, Acosta a bit and then he ran wide and got re-overtaken by Dixon that's probably yeah. the uh, the standout mistake of the race for him and then maybe that's what he was referring to perhaps he thought he could go with Acosta at that point but then he lost too much time there and it used too much tyre trying to catch him in that small period that's potentially what he was uh, referring to one of the mistakes and perhaps there was others that we saw off camera but I do uh, yeah. I do remember seeing that one so yeah it seems like Agora and the, the team as a whole do seem to be back at their best which is nice it's nice to see them uh, at the front because they had a really good season last year both of them really and they've kind of struggled a bit this year but 
does seem like the last couple of rounds they perhaps have been a little bit more like they were in the last season. Now, Tony Arbolino, of course, started the season off in a very good manner, kind of the opposite, really, to Agora here. But it's really just started to just crumble for him. He's, he's not been making mistakes or anything. It just seems to be lack of pace, just the, the last few rounds. I mean, if you ask me, I don't think he's ever really been quicker than Acosta this year. The only reason he was leading the championship was because Acosta sort of fell off at Le Mans, but which is not a slight on Arbolino because he made Acosta fall off by pulling away from him in that race and obviously being competitive in the championship up until that point. Of course, they did the battle at Cota, but generally Acosta has been the quicker of the two. Acosta's been chipping away at that gap, but now it just seems like Arbolino's got absolutely nothing left for him. Maybe it's, uh, again, maybe a team problem because Lowe's has also been underperforming quite a lot since Hareth, really, so... Yeah, not too short's going on there, but just again, it wasn't too bad. Like, he wasn't terrible. Was he P7? P8? I... P6 across the line. P6 across the line, yes, because he's been battling with uh, Salach on the all race. But uh, so it's not a terrible yeah. result. And like we always say, you have these weekends in Moto 2 where you can't get in the top five because it's just so close. Everyone's on the same bike. So if someone feeling a bit better than you, they can really make that difference. But it, yeah, so it's not a terrible result, but he's just not seemed to have that front running pace for the last few rounds. I just, just don't know what's happened to him. Just seems to have just completely sort of dropped. I kind of make the connection of what kind of happened to um, Vietti last year, where a few less crashes. It's got to though. a point, few, few less crashes, but I'm going to probably make a statement that might make me look foolish at the end of the year, but I reckon he's going to start crashing because what I've seen to start the season, he started like Vietti, he had good pace, was someone who came from pre season comfortable, confident on his equipment, came with a good team. He got the results at the start of the season. Also, we talk about the the crash from Acosta and Le Mans. Um, and he's been really consistent where Ayagora hasn't been there. Canet's crashed. Dixon is Dixon, so he's had his mistakes. And I don't think that the Moto 2 team is as good as the Moto 3, Moto 3 team for them. So that's probably why Dixon is slightly... He's not like... Look at uh, Guevara. Are you Darren Bender here? He, he ruined no, sorry, yeah, I've completely, yeah, exactly what I'm saying. Darren Binder ruined Dixon's. Let move on, but yeah, um, that was pretty much like Dixon's made his own mistakes, and he again, I I always wonder about that team. Is it as good as the Motor Three? Because I feel like the Motor Three aspect of their team is really, 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 really well oiled, really consistent. But I just find that maybe in Motor Two they're a bit less consistent. And they, they kind of have been even in previous kind of iterations of them, but it just I feel like Acosta's had a mistake one round. He's went missing in the wet in Argentina, so he's had a couple of rounds where there's a couple of points gone astray. Whereas Arbolino has just been consistent throughout the season. And the point I'm trying to get to is that I feel like he's overriding at the moment, and that's why we're seeing him P5, P6, P7, not on the podium, hasn't been on the podium since Saxoning, which is quite a while ago if you think of it in terms of championship points. And I think he's going to have to... He's probably been riding at 95% up to now. He's probably at 99% now. And I think going forward, since he's losing more points to Pedro, he'll feel, well, I'm going to have to go into the go into the red zone and go into that dark closet and just see what I can pull out and get work, get to work like and see can I start getting these results because there's been tracks like Assen where we thought he'd go, well, didn't really do anything there as well. It was top 10 consistently, like, but it was... Like these aren't what wins you championships. You have these rounds throughout the season, no doubt. Every rider has them, 
but having four on the bounce is just a bit worrying. So I think currently the championship is out of his hands. I think it's in Pedro, where Pedro, if Pedro makes a mistake, it's injured, or kind of mechanical stuff like that. I just I don't think that Arbelino has it. I, I kind of, in my head, I look at it as the 27 GP season where outright pace, Davi was never quicker than Marquez, but he just had a couple of things keep him in the championship till Valencia. Um, I think we're just seeing that the swing of this happen earlier in this year for the Moto2 class, where if we'll say we went to Assen and Acosta DNF'd, and then we put another 16 points on Darbellino, and then maybe Arbelino has slightly more pace throughout the season. It could have been dragged down to the last couple of rounds, but I think for the rest of the season, I just see Arbelino losing more and more points. And I again, I, I wholeheartedly believe that as he drops further back, he's going to try hard and there will be a crash or something will happen and that then will kind of take the pressure off. And if you're Acosta now and you keep seeing these points each week, you've you've caught him, you've beaten him each week, he's nowhere near you on track, you're not battling week in, week out him, you're out-qualifying him, you're showing great pace throughout the weekend and you're having P1s, P2s, P3s every, I think, the last five races he's been on the podium, whereas Acosta or Abelino hasn't. So it's, uh, it's going to be tough for Abelino. He's going to need some sort of fortune. And again, you mentioned kind of rightly that it looks like the VDS team is underperforming slightly for whatever reason. Um, they just don't seem to be getting the the best out of either rider since kind of the, the early Europeans around. So it'll be interesting though because you'll see going to the flyaways, anything happens. So the championship could go on its head and that would be what Arbelino is probably hoping for at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I wonder whether maybe the VDS team is uh, just because there's so much going on behind the scenes of the Superbike team, maybe they're trying to set up a lot there and so maybe some technicians have been moved across and stuff so perhaps maybe that could be why they're dipping in form because there's other things going on behind the scenes you're not too sure potentially but, yeah but i think generally it's a bit more it kind of reminds me of sort of 2019 and 2020 it's a bit it feels like maybe a bit of a not a weaker field that's kind of the wrong word but a bit more like people are not as consistent they're all very similar in terms of their absolute pace aside from Acosta like Acosta sort of a step above I feel like you know in terms of like if I'm being honest like the, the pace between some of the other riders is, is quite similar like I think actually Arbolino and Dixon Dixon's actually pretty quicker than Arbolino but he's just not been as consistent because as you say like obviously the last few rounds he's been kind of nowhere Arbolino but Dixon's kind of been there you know nearly on the podium so it's and I feel like there are other riders like that as well in the championship I feel like Agora is one of those guys so he's missed out those this first few rounds because of injury, but I feel like again he's probably actually got out more outright pace than Arbolino, but like it's just not as consistent. I think that's kind of what the problem is. I think that Acosta kind of has both pace and consistency, but nobody else does. If that makes any sense? Like, yeah, I feel like on obviously on Arbolino's day, to be fair, you know he's, he's rapid. Like you, you saw back at like he's won a few races this season. Of course, back at Austin, he had a great battle with Acosta. Obviously, Le Mans, you know, he was pulling away and forced Acosta to crash, but those are like a couple of maybe outliers more than anything and Le Mans very easy crash museum corner the easy crash to have uh, as well for Acosta so I, th- I think that's kind of the, the problem I just don't think he's got that level that Acosta has so I think may- maybe you're right if he tries to find it maybe he'll crash but I think I feel like maybe he more knows that but there's no point crashing out of P6 you may as well secure that P6 and hope that Acosta maybe makes a mistake and or maybe wait still another day I, th- I feel like he's maybe a bit smarter than to, to try too hard and crash because I think he would have done it already if if that make you know because that lead was being whittled away he's now lost the lead so 
it would have been sort of this kind of round where he would have crashed because he'd have been trying to, you know, thinking, right, okay, I need to get, I need to start beating him now because he's in front of me. But yeah, just, just one of those things. And obviously maybe he'll, maybe we'll be completely wrong. By the end of the season, it'll be Arbolino uh, winning the championship. But I, I don't see it. I think it is just a cost us to sort of run away with now. And Acosta, of course, tried to run away with the race as well, but probably went a bit too soon, used a bit more more tire than potentially meant to. I think generally that strategy has worked for him this year. I think he's done it a few times and then just been able to manage the gap to the end, but this time just didn't seem to. He had a few moments. He almost hit the back of Vietti at one point as well when he came past him. So what looked like, uh, to be honest, from halfway through, I thought it was an easy Acosta victory, ended up with Acosta in P2 today. Yeah, he absolutely destroyed his front tyre on the opening laps. It was clear once we got to half race distance. He was probably the quickest man till about the final third. But the gap wasn't growing after about half race distance. Um, pretty much up until then, it looked like everything was going in his way. The sails were pushing him along nicely. But after kind of the mid mid part of the race, it looked like the sails went against him. And there was just a bit of drag and... Igor took a bit of time out of him, but then that levelled off. It looked like, again, maybe if Igor did make more mistakes than we saw on camera, maybe he used more tyre to kind of keep the gap. And when Vietti started coming, uh, then I think Dixon started to match Acosta's times towards the end as well when, when Vietti was closing in. So, again, we've t- we've kind of already talked about him. He's done enough today in his championship. He's taken a very good P2. Um, again, I feel like... Uh, kind of act like the Mono Tree where Alonso's quickest man on track all weekend and didn't come away with the victory. Same thing here for Acosta. Um, I think he put a, part, a bit of pressure on himself with it being KTM's home race that he wanted to go out and get the victory for the team and probably maybe didn't stick to the game plan as much and probably wanted to make it more dominating, kind of stretch the gap and hopefully that would have been a brilliant Acosta win, wins by six seconds, whatever, but... I don't think anyone was accounting for Vietti's pace. And I think if we take Vietti out, Acosta dominates, wins by seconds. So it's uh, Acosta kind of did perfect. Vietti just went above that again. So it was it was a shame, really, that Acosta just didn't have a bit more tyre because imagine the battle between them for the last two laps. That would have been a beautiful little race to end off the motor two there. It's having the two in a battle. But really, once Vietti got past, Acosta had a look into nine at one lap. But considering that was the lap that he kind of ran on and almost touched him and the front kind of folded a couple of times, had a couple of goals at it and uh, I think then he probably told himself, I'll stick on him, I'll keep him under pressure but unless his tyres go off a cliff or he starts making mistakes, it'll be 20 points for me today but again, smart right, you don't need to win every race, you don't need to do America's uh, 2019 season where first or second like you can, I know second today so it probably doesn't really back up the point but he, he seems to have it in him, if you look at um, Asin he didn't go over his limit trying to find time that wasn't there that day he just took that third place again once you're ahead of your main companion in your championship kind of the, the battle against your main rival and he's in seventh for the race and somehow managed to get to sixth when you're third second it's great to win the races and everybody looks back at the season and go oh he won nine races that season he really wiped the floor it's not really the wins that win you the championships it's a day where you don't really feel it and you come home with a brilliant P2 when you beat rivals that maybe had something for you when a coming start to the race that they might have thought that he could have taken more points off and so the fact that he did reach the flag with a brilliant race and got P2 and was beaten by an astonishing performance from Vietti absolutely perfect for his championship once he keeps doing this doesn't crash had a small crash on Saturday so the mistake is still there. 
he's probably not completely inevitable to a crash so it's it's going to be an interesting running because we've seen already this season he has crashed i think motor two bikes are probably easy enough to crash usually just the way the class is they're they're quite a, a they're very i don't want to say low tech but they're such kind of basic machinery in some aspects and the tires aren't by no mean a special special tire or anything they're quite they do a job they don't blow up and they kind of wear relatively slowly and they're just an overall okay tire they're probably not the best in the world so for motor two it's a lot to do with the tires and today when he uses all that front tire early if someone had pace like vietti he was always going to get caught and to be honest vietti had so much more when he caught him so it was a just 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 a small little maybe bit of overconfidence from him and that maybe cost him because uh realistically he didn't really need to bridge the gap as much as he did he brought it out quite early in the race and that was probably his downfall really but again p2 is absolutely nothing to to cry about he's done brilliantly again today and he's taken big points over his rival yeah i mean we're slighting the guy he still came second i mean i think like you say it's <laughs> yeah. a good champions ride isn't it a couple of times a season now same with like Hareth when there's a rider that's not in the championship it's gone past him it's gone for a win kind of did the same thing again at Silverstone as well yeah Adagare and Canet not championship rivals so he knows he knows when he needs to win and he knows when he doesn't like he just he just manages it perfectly I mean we might as well talk about Vietti now Vietti just he kind of came out of nowhere I didn't expect him like I wouldn't have had him down I would have had him down as like maybe a podium threat before the race but I definitely wouldn't have had him down as a race winner but it was very reminiscent of his early races last year where he just had so much more pace than everyone. It just pulled away in the tyre. just kept it pulled away even more at the end. But he just... The way he just sort of... He rolled up to the back of Acosta and just passed him immediately. Like, literally, he caught him. Like, he, he was about, he was bridging the gap. We saw that. Then it sort of swaps back on the run to turn four that Vietti's now right on his wheel. And he just rides underneath him at the next turn. Like, just as if he's standing still. Like, he just rolled up to the back of him. It was an amazing race from Vietti nice to see the guy back because he's been in a bit of a dark place right like the last year like he obviously started last season phenomenally couldn't really do anything wrong he did have a crash at austin but you know everyone crashes at austin sometimes it's a bit weird uh but then he just he just started crashing his brains out and just the championship went off you know off the boil didn't it but seems like he's finally maybe recovering from that one obviously the team changed from valentino rossi's team this year to the fantic team i think I think a lot of the staff have stayed but i mean i imagine they've probably taken some up to motor gp maybe and perhaps the, you know, it's perhaps just a bit different behind the scenes so perhaps they've taken a little bit of time to gel and i suppose fantic you know they've bought that team but i suppose they didn't probably pick the riders initially i mean i suppose they did pick gomez but you know obviously vietti was kind of already there i mean i'm not saying they didn't want him but you, you know i'm just saying you you got to gel with that new management structure and stuff so yeah, it's taken a little bit of time but good to see the guy back really it, it, you don't want to see someone having a bad time yeah, he, he is a special talent, and to be honest, when he's riding well, he's really, really good just to watch, just the way he rides the bike. He's so nice to watch. There was a slow-mo of him coming out of the final corner where the back end is about a foot out of line, and he just holds it there and just powers out, and it comes back in so nicely. He's a brilliant... He's one of my... I find a lot with the motor too. It's not the most enjoyable to watch. I could watch Peko ride around on his own all day because he's so good to watch. You just see, you can see a lot what's going on. Same with Fabio Quartararo and Marquez in his in his prime. In motor two, a lot of them ride in a certain way to get the most out of the bike and tires and to get it to work. Vietti's one rider I do enjoy watching a lot in motor two just to be rides and he's gone missing for the bones of a year. He obviously had so many crashes last year. Went from winning 
pretty much up until I think the mid part of the season he was leading and then end up finished seventh with all the crashes. Then the VR46 pull out, he ends up in a different kind of structural team. Uh, probably isn't as close to Valentino day to day with the, the new team. So everyone talked coming into this year that it was going to be a reset to start the season up until now. Really, we have not seen much. We've seen glimpses in qualifying sessions, but in terms of races, he's still crashing quite a bit. But today he was just phenomenal. I cannot believe what he did today because he just had so much speed. He seemed to put the bike where he wanted, whereas other riders looked to be slightly behind the bike he looked like he was ahead he just looked like whatever whatever the track conditions they would do just absolutely perfect for him so hopefully he can kick on a bit because like last year after the first three four races whatever when he was doing really well he was like on the list for pramac he was it was like oh he's going up to gp it's done deal a bit like arbelino the way this season started where he done really well at the start and just started kind of pipe off now so maybe the deals won't be happening for arbelino but I definitely think Vietti has a future in GP. I really like his riding style, and he's a he's a tidy rider when it's going right. But just needs to find a bit more consistency because there's no question his speed and talent. He's definitely a potential uh, championship challenger next year if he's still in the class, which he ninety nine percent sure will be. Yeah, he's going to be in the class with the the seven other Fantic riders. That have been... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it will be interesting to uh, to see where it goes because that that has been rumours that the uh, Valentino Rossi's team are going back to Moto three. So I mean. Maybe they could return to Moto Two as well. I I, I don't I don't know, but right, yeah. just be interesting, especially if Pons if Pons are leaving the classes, there's a spot for grabs. So who knows what what might happen with Vietti? But hopefully he does stay in the class because, like you say, he's he's too good to drop out of the class. You know, he's he's one of those riders. I mean, shown today, yeah, he might have had a rough period. He might have had a rough season or so, but he's still clearly very very fast on his day and uh, capable of beating someone who has been tatted as sort of the next Mark Marquez in a straight fight. So. You know, you've got to be pretty decent if you're able to do that one. But moving on to MotoGP then now, obviously, probably the thing that you're thinking is going to be the thing that's discussed first. The Obviously, the sprint race, the controversial sprint race, and uh, resulted in a, a few riders going down at the first corner. Martin sent it up the inside, sort of hitting the side of Fabio. Fabio was sort of sandwiched between Vinales, who had a shocking start from second place on the grid, by the way. Just absolutely awful to go into turn one. The all scope, they all sort of closed up. So sandwich in the middle was Fabio. That sent obviously Quattararo, Vinales wide, straight into the side of Azeki. He went down. They caught up Zarco in that one as well. So another right of Oliveira, of course, the unfortunate Oliveira getting taken out. So a chaotic start. Something that's you know, there's, there's always a chance of that. The turn one is so tight here, and because in MotoGP it's so difficult to pass, especially at this circuit, which I think is probably something we will talk about in a little bit. The aero and all the things make it difficult. Turn one was just absolute chaos in the sprint, wasn't it? Martin just went bowling. So, first question for you is, do you agree with the penalty? Would you have penalised him for what he did? I would have penalised him, but I would have given him a double long lap, uh, if it was me, I think. Fair enough. I 100% agree with the, that it was a penalty. Whether one or two long laps... Yeah, two yeah, two long laps, I suppose, would have been probably more fair because, um, well, he took out how many riders? He ended kind of Fabio's race. Yeah, he ended Fabio, Vinales, Yeah, the double long lap is is probably about right for because from how far it wasn't back he came. I mean, yeah, it, it was ridiculous. Like he didn't skittle yeah. people, like, but he he did start the pendulum and he was the. The, the small domino that it wasn't Nakagami at Catalonia, but it was exactly or Alvaro with Aston in 
2011, I think. Yes, uh, 2012. Well, 11 or 12, I knew it was one of them. Yeah. 11 was Simocelli taking out Lorenzo. The, uh, ah, sure, yeah. Et, sure. Et, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he got took out by uh, yeah, a Grassini bike underneath him two years in a row there, unfortunately. Exactly. Easily mistake to make. Yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> double long enough probably would have... It was, again, it came up straight away saying reviewed after the race, which I understand why I do it in the sprint, but I don't agree with it. Yeah. If they, they should have enough bodies that they can manage the current race that's ongoing in the event of something happening... They should also have enough people that they can deal with incidents at the time. What it like just because the race is shorter doesn't mean that they can't do their jobs right. I feel and like maybe it's more so that they can have a proper look, get like sort of opinions of different riders, and then maybe you should make sure the penalty is for the main race. Because if you get penalised in the sprint, you're not losing nearly as much as you would in the main race because you're not losing as many points. So maybe that's why. Or two, but if you're, how many other teams can protest yesterday at the fact that? Um, how many people on Twitter don't understand the fact that reviewed after the yeah, race exactly. means that it's going to get looked at later he didn't get away with no penalty like half the people thought yeah it's a <laughs> interesting one that but Harger Martin gets a podium whereas Alex Marquez I think Grissini had a little word about why he wasn't a penalty given out then and a lot of people I, I like if you make a mistake obviously previously if you make a mistake in the race, you kind of get penalised in the race because it's the last session of the weekend. You don't really want to bring a penalty forward to the next weekend unless yeah. it was something really egregious or something. So I can understand that. that That's why you know, we have to sprint and they can also put a penalty in the, the feature length race. But I like if I screw up into turn one on this race, I want to penalise now. I don't like to kind of carry over because make a mistake now, penalise me now. It's kind of the, the way yeah. I think. I think that's more effective. Um, and, and I think a lot of in the incident that happened later as well because he, he said as much in sort of the, the post race after he'd had the contact with Marini that he was pushing for a he thought he might get along with that but perhaps he was doing that previously also so yeah exactly so like if it came across to he taking his long lap he just takes a long lap and that's it he's done then everyone's I know it's not ideal because nobody wants to have a collision with other riders but he's been penalised he's sort of kind of we move on and push forward for it but um, as far as you bring up the Marini incident, penalty or no penalty for you? No penalty for me. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. I think elbows up Marini, and also that's I I still hate Shane. I hate it with a passion. Yeah, it does nothing for the track. I agree. This section of track that was there before is dangerous, but it was a piss poor attempt from putting that again in my opinion. So, um, again, Marini tries to hold around the outside or hold it. And just kind of keep with him on the outside. Probably should have given him more room. It, it to be honest, right? Martin goes wider than I expected, even before the collision happened. Yeah. But I suppose when he goes for a lunge, it kind of has. But that's the risk you take happened, when you hang it around the outside. Exactly. So I think maybe a small bit of understeer from Martin. He also probably realized, like we've talked already in Motor Three, Motor Two, but crashes in the chicane. Harger Martin probably mightn't been at like 64, 65 degrees lean that he maybe normally was through the corner. Slightly more upright, which means they should actually just push wide and Marini's a bigger rider, so maybe le less room probably resulted in the contact that we would normally would have had. So it was unfortunate. Marini wasn't really too pissed off. Yeah, about even he conceded that like he could have probably picked up the bike. It was just one of those things. He was just more concerned that the stewards gave a penalty out later to Fabio, which we'll, we'll mention, I suppose. And didn't give anything about uh, there was no reviewed after the race or anything they just gave him a straight penalty for an incident we hadn't been seen on the feed so 
just again, it's the kind of stewards inconsistently. We'll, we'll maybe touch on that again towards the end of the podcast. But um, turn one is a nightmare in that in that track. I don't like it in any class. It's it's horrible even riding through it on your own because the curbing comes back against you. So you have to get the bike up, and you're it's just it's a bit awkward. It's it's not really an ideal turn one. It's it's kind of a nadry little thing. And we send 23, 24 GP bikes down there. It's um. It's destined to have an incident, I think, if you went back it's through. It's just not a very good track for MotoGP, is it, really? Not really, no. Uh, I think it's just the fact that it's the Red Bull track. I think it's... Yeah. I think, uh, I think to be honest, right, take the actual physical track out, everything around it is good. You have the Red Bull Museum. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. It's meant to be, yeah. meant to be brilliant facilities around the track great. and all that. So, so yeah, exactly. Facilities kind of make up for it. So, in terms of on track action, it's never been amazing. Obviously, Marcus and Davi had, had made it better for a few years, but you end any track um, with two hairpins, it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they're not hairpins, yeah, exactly. you know what I mean? Like corners where you yeah. can dive bomb. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, it's part of the track, and really, a spin race, everyone thinks, oh, I have to make it into turn one. And again, the Maverick Vignale kind of set off the dominoes, and it just set a little effect there as well. So uh, we clearly both agree on the penalties, but um, it was just a messy. It was a messy sprint in general because it wasn't great after that because it opened up a gap, and uh, we after we saw in the main race, well, it didn't really see that Binder could ever do anything to Pecco. No, definitely not. It was, uh, yeah, Martin kind of just created all the excitement of the of the MotoGP weekend. To be quite honest, not a lot else happened really. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Obviously, once we get crashing and warm up as well was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Taking his on that penalty. See, maybe that would have happened in the sprint. Obviously, it would have been, <laughs> yeah. been a bit worse. Then he really would have been penalised. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I don't think you could penalise someone for crashing in the long that penalty. Yeah, Just... No, I mean like that. He kind of would have served his own penalty. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. right yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that was also maybe partly why people were a bit outraged because he kind of just bowled through and carried on. He, I think he might have lost a spot on like, the exit, but like he didn't... Yeah. Like he kind of he gained a lot from it. Like let's be real, you going for he's like twelfth through that fourth first corner. So yeah, yeah, he was uh, yeah. definitely gained quite a bit from it. But there you go. That was the uh, the sprint. That was one Ducati rider. Let's talk about uh, Pekka Banyaya this weekend. I honestly, I'm full of praise for him because it was a fantastic weekend. I mean, I've probably been a bit critical of him in the past when he's made mistakes and perhaps I've you know made comments about him not being sort of at the level of Quattararo and Marquez and things like that. But this is one of those weekends where he absolutely was. Like, he was every bit as good as, like, Lorenzo used to be. Marquez would be on his day. Fabio would be on his day. He was just... He was so much faster than everybody. Like, it was ridiculous. I've not, not seen anything like it for so long. Like, the whole week... And he's had weekends where he's won the sprint, he's won the race, and he's pulled a bit of a gap. But it was so much quicker than everybody. You look where the other Ducatis were, even. I mean, none of the other Ducatis were sort of up there, but... Like in terms of position, but in terms of time, they were nowhere near him. Look where his teammate was. It's, that's a that's a story for itself as well. But uh, you know, look where Bastianini was. Uh, fair enough in the sprint, he did get sent to the shadow realm at turn one. But mm. in the main race, he didn't. Obviously, Martin was obviously third place in the sprint. But look what he had to do to get there. Like it was, I suppose his weekend was compromised by the qualifying. I guess in the end, but Banyai was just so much faster than everybody. Like even Brad Binder, like who is probably the most aggressive rider when you think about pulling a dive bomb could not lay a glove on him I mean he's so good on the brakes just so fast everywhere he pulled away from everybody managed his tire perfectly pole position as well I just it was one of the best weekends I've ever seen like it was unbelievable he was he was so much better than everybody else like I've never seen him that much better than everybody else like 
I've seen him do weekends where he's been better than the other Ducati riders. Like, wow, that's pretty good. But this was like, wow. Like, I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Today he was 2019 Marcus. And I think this season he is, if you take, if you don't look at his mistakes, which there's been a few to start the season, but you kind of forgive everyone. If you look back at Valentino's last title, he actually crashed a couple of times that year that you don't really think of, but... It, uh, you always gonna have a couple of crashes in a season. It's just that's it. Like you're so on the limit. If, like it's so difficult to. And I think it's just his day, I don't mistakes think... were needless. I believe. I think that was more of the. Possibly, yeah. yeah. So it's made the title somewhat more entertaining with a couple of DNFs from him. But every week, right? Peck was there. Now he doesn't win every week. He doesn't win every race. But the guys that are battling him are never the same guys. Also, Ducati clearly have the best equipment on the grid. It's never the same guy battling him on Ducati. One week it's Martin, one week it's Bezeki, some weeks it's Alec Marcus. It's always different guys. It's just it's the 2019 Marcus season where it's always the number one Bologna bullet with Peko on it. That's in and about the victory positions. We're battling with Miller, battling with Binder, battling with everyone else I just mentioned. But it's every week it's someone else different there, and they just every week they nearly come off worse against him. And he's so good. And again, I've been kind of. I have been also critical as well, thinking maybe... I was kind of like this as well with Fabio, to be honest, when he's won his title. When he won his title, I was like, well, yeah, we like the chest protector thing and the arm pump and he made mistakes here and there was silliness. And then in his season afterward, so the 22 season, he impressed me way more by not even winning the title. It just showed me how good he was. And I think Pecco's really nailed on to win this title. It's kind of like the, it's a lot more convincing than the other classes where... He has such an advantage. He's so consistent. And he doesn't seem to have a weakness. He's decent in the West. He's probably not a, a wet weather specialist, but he's good enough that he's he doesn't... He's definitely better. He used to be quite bad, but he definitely improved. He's not He's not like Lorenzo. During Lorenzo's title charges, if there was a wet race, he did usually kind of go backwards. He's probably not at the level of like a Rossi through the years in the wet where Wayne or Dry Rossi was there. Uh, Peko probably is a top six, top eight rider in the rain, but at least he doesn't go backwards. So I think if you look at Bastianini last year, in some of the wet races he was missing him at the back of the grid nearly. So Peko just about has nearly all the box ticks. He's an amazing qualifier. No question that he is brilliant over the one lap. We see it nearly every week. Consistency is near perfect. Obviously the odd mistake here and there that he's seemingly putting behind him. Uh, racecraft when he's one of the latest breakers so that kind of gives you an advantage I've never seen him too rash in a battle um, we've seen him at Aragon yeah, against Marcus yeah Le Mans maybe I suppose he was a bit um, ragged that whole weekend it was a bit out of character it was, it was strange yeah I think maybe just missing a small bit I suppose and kind of having to go above and beyond maybe but um, he just takes the box for me and I think really we're really seeing what he can do now and I think he's Today was his 16th win, I think, in the class, 50 a podium. He's really turning into a top, and he's going to be soon a two-time world champion in GP. Obviously, won his Moto three, uh, Moto two title in 18, 19, 18, 18, uh, I think. Yeah, he won the Moto two in 2018, didn't he? He beat yeah, yeah, so it's just he's turning into a metronomic machine, and. He has the braking of Valentino, probably has the corner speed and flow of Lorenzo and consistency of pretty much both of them put together. So he has a, he has a lot going from him, of course, on the best equipment, but he has Valentino in his corner. He does a bit of chatting with Casey. So he, he's just, when he crossed the line today, I was just thinking, 
that just looks like Casey on that bike though. He's just so dominant on it. He's, he's he kind of has that Max Verstappen going on at the moment where best rider, best bike, winning a lot. Um, no matter what happens in the weekend, he somehow is always there. Um, isn't crashing a lot even in practice and stuff like that. He probably doesn't. He's probably only gripe, and it's not really it, he, not really a major thing. Is that he never starts the weekend very quick, but I suppose he just goes through the through the paces and come. Come when it matters, he's just there, and it's 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 magical to watch him because he's so good on the bike. And a lot of people say maybe he's getting a bit boring with him winning, but you can't say anything against his talent. He is so good, so consistent, and uh, I'm hoping throughout the season maybe he gets pushed a bit harder by maybe some other Ducatis, maybe the KTM's or the Aprilia's if they can kind of they went a bit missing again this weekend. But it's again it's the same thing like we had. Alej battling last week in Silverstone. Alej was what seven today. So again, it'll, it'll it'll soon turn out to be a 2019 season where he wins it comfortably, no doubt. Barring injuries, there's there's no one that can really stop him really. But he was fabulous. The hats off to him. Two perfect results over the weekend. Yeah, I don't really have any more to add to that. Just fantastic, like you say, just dominant. Um, he's on the best equipment, but he's on the best equipment for a reason. You know, like he he's, yeah. he's good enough to get that equipment. And I think Cream also, to the top. yeah, exactly. And I think he utilizes it better than perhaps other riders. And I don't even mean just in terms of riding. Like we've we've heard before, like at Assen, for example, Bezeki beats him in the sprint. He goes now to look at Bezeki's data. He makes some. Well, he doesn't obviously physically make the tweaks to the bike himself, but he gets the engineers <laughs> to make some tweaks to the bike that he doesn't get his spanner out and stuff. Yes, snap and rush. So yeah, that's that's a secret to success. He does his own setups. No, um, yeah. So he gets the the engineers to change stuff, and then he wins on the Sunday based off that data so he, he kind of he doesn't even use just necessarily like the bikes he uses you know every little bit of the data the technicians and yeah sure that comes with being in the factory team i think if you, if you look at like bezeki and martin for example clearly he has an an inbuilt advantage over them to an extent because he has better technicians and he has they have access to all the data too but you know that they, they can't use it and he's got the proper factory support but even still it doesn't matter that doesn't make that much difference in terms of the lap time that like he makes up today like it is pure riding i just you know i just can't uh can't applaud him enough but his his friend bezeki obviously championship rival i think bezeki is still third in championship now right? i don't think he's got back up into second yet but yeah it's still third still third after the after yeah after the sprint <laughs> after uh the current second place guy uh, knocked him off <laughs> um he had a brilliant race today obviously we can't really comment on the sprint because it got ended after a corner but he was he was perfectly on the pace today under the podium Obviously, he had a great battle with Alex Marquez throughout the race. That was probably the most interesting part of the race, right? Just watching those two go at it for, for quite a while. Alex Marquez, actually, give a shout-out to him. He's been very good the last couple of rounds. He's kind of been... He's had decent pace in some sessions this year, but never really put it together in the weekend. But last couple of weekends, he's he's been a lot better, I think. He's, uh, he's definitely been more of a threat for the podium and stuff like that. So I, I want to give a little shout-out to him there. But yeah, it was great from Bezeki. Obviously, couldn't lay a glove on the lead, too, because again just they were so far in front but to bounce back from being in the gravel that took well i suppose the toilet run off so you don't get away to the gravel but to being knocked off at the first corner in the sprint i think was overall pretty good and he was very fast all weekend also he looked like probably one of the faster riders just when it came to the race he just he didn't have what the, the top two had but to be fair he's on a year old bike so you know can't really blame him too much for that one to be honest as well the fact that he just wasn't in the top positions early you never really know what we've talked about how it's probably not a great racetrack and it with the current michelin tires and aero and ride out devices and everything that goes with it 
when you have that many riders at the front that are that quick and consistent and they all can break so deep we saw how hard it was for it to pass Alex Marquez and there was no slide against Mar- Alex Marquez he's been like you said since just kind of summer break he went away came back a different rider and I think for Mar- Alex Marquez that he started season thinking maybe I can do this and he probably he probably didn't have the ability to believe himself as much and he's probably looked back at his season and thought well should have done better than Le Mans I should have shouldn't have crashed in that and Mugello and probably should have done better there and I really could have done better there and it probably taught himself well if I just take a step back I could probably come forward so he's been really consistent since he came back from the summer break and obviously sprint race win in Silverstone so when Bezeki caught him I thought this is not going to be an easy an easy kind of pass and it was clear that Bezeki had the speed over him yeah, um, it looked like Alex Alex Marcus was probably parking it quite hard in front of him and we saw one attempt from Bezeki when he ran straight on at turn one but when he did pass him, lovely move, leveled him, and then just gapped him. He showed he had so much more speed, and I think I see it's hard to tell. I don't know who's quicker, Bezeki or Martin. I think Bezeki is more rounded. I think he's a better scrapper. I think he's a bit more more Valentino in him. Whereas I think Lorenzo, um, or Martin is more the Lorenzo. Where he just gets ultimate lean and lovely corner speed, and is a great kind of great extractor of the lap time from the Ducati. So, um. I think uh, Bezeki really is a really, really well-rounded. Seems to be able to get a great qualifying lap out, but definitely is a good scrapper. We've seen him in some of the battles he's had so far this season with the likes of Peko and stuff, so he really is a good battler. And I feel like Jorge Martin always, doesn't always come through the field as quickly as others, whereas Bezeki usually starts taking riders off pretty quickly, starts taking names and stuff, so... Um, I was even more impressed then by Alex Marquez's performance today, holding him off at such a such a rate because he held him off for a good six seven laps I'd say and eventually when he passed him <laughs> Luca Marini managed to jump on the bandwagon and go through as well so uh, good race from Marini today after a shocking Saturday but Bezeki brilliant today he was kind of faultless really obviously the one mistake just a bit deep into turn one against Marcus but uh, yeah we, we could have seen something as well from him on Saturday obviously it was a shame that he didn't really even make turn one he was on his head before even the apex of the corner so it was just uh it was just unfortunate because, again, we talk about if you're neutral, Peko keeps seeming to get this luck where some of his riders fall into issues and if they have a bad weekend, things like this seem to happen more through his rivals than Peko. And that's kind of putting the, the nail in the coffin for the overall championship. But, uh, yeah, you can't really, can't really say anything against Bezeki this weekend. was really strong and uh, definitely seemed to have learned from the stake from the, the feature race in Silverstone. Yeah, it was, it was good for him to bounce back from that, actually. I was... So about to say that because I, I kind of forgot it as I was saying it, but yeah, like he obviously got knocked off at the first corner of the sprint, and he didn't even really get a chance to make amends for what happened at Silverstone. But obviously today, he did. He got back on the podium. Unfortunate that that's still losing nine points to Banyai, but hey ho, it's just how it goes, and it's better to bring home the points than to end up in the gravel. And it just it, obviously he's got a lot going on behind the scenes right now as well with deciding what's going to happen next year. Is he going to stay at VR Forty Six? He could go to Pramac, so maybe that's taking his eye off the ball a little bit. So that could be why he was perhaps a little bit off Banyard this weekend. But in fairness, I think like you, you make a good point. If you're not first and second after the first lap, you don't pull away. And I think that's what was shown in both races this weekend, that uh, you needed to be at the front right away. Otherwise, you just got stuck in the pack. So obviously, Red Bull, KTM, home race this weekend. You know, obviously both Austrian companies, obviously out the Red Bull ring. But massive thing for both of them, really, right? That they are 
like crackers and cheese. They're always together, you know, Red Bull, always with KTM, both Austrian companies. So it was a massive, massive weekend for all the KTMs. And in general, across the three classes, they did get some good results. But Brad Binder really performing at home. I guess it's really the closest he's going to get to a home race with it being all the team's home race, obviously with no South African Grand Prix, unfortunately. And he just dominated the other KTMs. They couldn't lay a glove on him. They were nowhere near him. He was P2 and they were 14th, 15th and 16th, right? In the main race? Yep. Yep, and yep. that just just says it all. I mean, it was fantastic in both the sprint and the main race. He tried the same tactic, got straight on the back of Banyaya, tried to go with him. He did actually have a little go at trying to make a pass in, in the main race, but he just he just couldn't outbreak him. He got sort of alongside a little bit, but just wasn't able to do it. Clearly, the KTM's just not as good as the Ducati, so it's just very difficult for him. Obviously, the KTM does tend to work very well at the Red Bull Ring. Obviously, they've done a lot of testing here in the past, so the bike's DNA is sort of, you know, made for this track in a certain way that they, they do have really good settings here and obviously the the only ever two manufacturers to win here are Ducati and KTM so those are the two bikes you'd want to be on this weekend I would say but even still the, K, the, the KTM wasn't as good as the Ducati Binder tried everything with his talent but in the end was sort of a distant second in both races but similarly to Banyai really did it put a foot wrong with miles ahead of everybody else on this same bike He's not particularly known for qualifying, but put it on the front row this weekend. So addressing one of his own sort of downfalls, if you like, you know, something that he's not so good at. And that's what put him in the position. I think he could be on the podium every weekend if he qualified better and started better. I know he can make, he's one of those riders that can make his way through the pack to an extent, but you, you can't really afford to not be in the top three, really, after the first couple of laps in MotoGP these days if you want any chance at the podium, because... Just it's so difficult to make passes. You lose so much time in the opening laps, and you can't get it back, especially at a circuit like this where the tire wear was so important. You couldn't push hard to build to bridge the gaps. Whereas maybe at somewhere like Silverstone, you could have done because, well, the tire wear is still quite high there actually. But because the track is cooler, you can maybe uh, push the bike a bit more. But yeah, I, I don't know where the other KTM's came in the the sprint, but uh, actually, Paul did very well on the sprint, didn't he? On the gas gas, he was P seven, but um, Miller was nowhere all weekend. Very poor weekend for Miller. Not not the track you want to have a poor weekend at either, especially when they're trying to find a space for Pedro Acosta. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't exactly want to be underperforming there, but he had a he had an awful race. He had a good start, but he just he just got passed by everybody. I mean, it's one thing to be down in those positions, but I think he, he was he was the last he was last out of all of them, right? They they both beat him by yeah. the gas gas bikes, which is yeah, an injured Paul and a rookie Augusto is not. Um, not good to be beaten by them, especially when you were up in the podium spots at the start of the race. So, it, And it just shows, again, that Miller has not learned that you do not push 100% in a race where you have to look off the tyre at the start because it doesn't work. And yet again, he's done the same thing. So, yeah, um, Binder, hats off to him. Poor, poor race for Miller. I guess the gas gas guys, if you hold them by the same standard, I guess it's kind of poor, but you never know exactly what kind of bikes they've got obviously again rookie and very injured rider Paul actually had a very good weekend overall I think but you know based on how he came back but Binder just you know I'll hand it over to you but Binder just absolutely dominated the KTMs he showed today why he is the the premier one of the top riders in the class he is he is the peco of the Ducati except just the Ducati is a wider operating window so that's why we see them closer together um, we've saw Miller have a good start to the season, but as the Ducati's got more, like 
you start a season last year's bike at the start of a new season is always better because they've already done a full race weekend 12 months ago at the track you were just at previously each weekend it slowly gets more and more in favor of the newer bike and now we're seeing that the newer bike peco's bike is just getting into its stride now and it's better and ducati have kind of figured out a few little issues with it it's really wound into a great machine peco's in tune with it and that's where we're seeing these bigger gaps ktm starts season really well when ducati probably didn't have it as kind of so uh so kind of tightly consistent in, in the company between getting the most out of the gp23 and the 22 was really working well and everything that goes with that the ktm looked closer but now that the 23 has stretched legs and got itself moving just still a good gap the ktm isn't as good there it showed today on the onboards that it just does not matter how well Binder gets out of the corner. He cannot match Peko. Now, a lot of that is Peko, 100%. But that Ducati is just definitely better than KTM. Uh, they have way too much spin. Apparently, all weekend they were having front locking at a track like this. That must have been hell to ride. Um, I'd imagine that Jack Maybe that is kind probably... of plays into it a bit then. Perhaps the others couldn't. It's like on the Marquez syndrome, I guess. Like on the whole exactly, yeah. you can ride around the front locking, but nobody else can. And... Um... We know Miller's pretty heavy on the brakes, and again, Miller. Everybody thought he'd have a poor season. He overperformed at the start of the season at Portimao, Horet, and he's kind of gone missing. Double crash in Le Mans, uh, rough enough in Mugello. Hasn't really been on it for a few weeks now. He's been there about, but he's like in terms of results, he's he's not been there. And I think this weekend was really bad for him. I think the fact that he made it through Q1 and then did really 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 hold his breath for a lap time in Q2 he really showed off his talent over one lap in, in that session but just shows that over 28 laps whatever it may be he will lose the tyres quickest and it's just a shame because I, I, I just don't understand how he, he just can't figure out that that's his biggest weakness he keeps saying that he's just missing something but like you're missing the the hold back and go 90% or 80% at the start of a race is, is his biggest issue. Um, fair enough, If even if he has to hold back and is slow then, that's fair, but going that much slower at the last part of the race that you're being caught by your satellite teammates, that is not a good look for a factory rider. And of course, happening in front of all the big wigs from Red Bull and from KTM will not be good. But um, I definitely think he'll have strong showings throughout the rest of the season, but this was really off, off colour of weekend from uh, Jack. Augusto uh, didn't really do much all weekend, didn't really kind of went under the radar, uh, much more like a normal rookie weekend. And to be fair, Paul, I was really impressed with Paul, considering um, in the full feature race, he always was going to go backwards in terms of fitness and just uh, getting back. He said going left at the moment, his left side of his body is quite weak, um, but did brilliantly in sprint, did adequately well in the full race. So um, hats off to him, I suppose. To finish off a binder, it just shows why they've signed it for another two years this weekend. He'll be there till twenty twenty five. Um, he's yeah, he's just he's one of the best riders on the grid. And when KTM get that bike in the window, he will be a serious threat for the championship. And I look forward to because I'm I really like watching Binder. I love watching his style on the bike, and he's he's just a bread of fresh air really because he's not like a lot of the riders. He really drifts it in, and he makes up so much time on a corner entry. It's a it's a really entertaining rider to watch. Yeah, he really is. He really is interesting to watch. Like he just, just somewhat special, isn't he? Just fantastic rider. 
And of course, you mentioned obviously previously that the KTM started off the start of the season. It was somewhat near the Ducati. We, we were talking about earlier on in the season, potentially was there going to be a title fight between Binder? Would Binder be in the championship hunt? But it seems like not really. No one's really got a you know hand on Banyana. Probably this is a turning point in the championship this round that just when Banyai's feeling it, doesn't matter what track it is, doesn't matter how good you perform, just can't beat him, and he just keeps pulling further and further away. Whilst his rival have poor weekends, to be fair, Binder, this round has minimised, he's had the smallest points drop he could possibly have had with Banyai winning both those races, so to be fair, it's probably helped him out in the championship, but so you got Bezeki being knocked off in the first race, Martin obviously having the long lap in this form that's compromised him, and obviously the qualifying mistake, Zarco, I'm not saying that Zarco particularly arrived, but he was P4 in the championship, so I'm just talking about the people that are closest. Again, he got knocked off in the sprint, so this could really be, I think it was kind of already looking like it was a Banyaya to lose championship, but after this weekend, it just, it is, isn't it now? Really, this is a massive turning point in the championship, I would say. 100%. We've just seen basically what the actual gap is from Peko and Ducati to everyone else, and regardless of who turns up each week, like Binder was riding above and beyond his not his talent but the equipment he has he rode above everyone else for the two races did pretty well in qualifying which again is his weakness and probably still KTM's probably not their best thing they're better this year over the one lap obviously we've seen by Jack being pretty much there in every Q2 session and stuff like that so it's probably swung a small but where they've managed to get more of a tyre immediately and they probably don't have the extreme tyre saving that they had over the last two or three seasons in the, the latter parts of the races. So I think maybe they're they're just they need to hold that overall pace on one lap and keep the 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 fire more for the latter parts of the races where they can maybe give someone a bit more of a pressure run to the line and stuff like that. But really it's a big turning point because who's gonna challenge Peko now? Like really does there is no one and Peko is annihilating them really in points. And like if we go back, if he didn't crash in Texas, if he didn't crash in Argentina, Jesus, he'd nearly, he'd nearly have his name already on it. It would be uh, one of the most dominating seasons we've seen for a while. Like it would be 2019 again. It would be that sort of level because he's there come rain, shine, Saturday, Friday, Sunday. He's there. It, it doesn't really need to be a, a peck weekend anymore. It's, if he's having a tough weekend, he still seems to be there. Um, like when he crashed out in Le Mans with the, clinch and the collision with Maverick, he wasn't down in P12, he was still in the top group, like so he's always there regardless of the track every week. And I think I think there's been a kind of a mental switch maybe since we came back from the summer break for Pekka that he seems very relaxed and it's not coming easy, but it's just all going going the way he needs it. And I think the fact that we don't have the Japanese manufacturers challenging them. KTM are the newest one in the class. They're always going to be lacking data. Ducati have been there for 20 years now so they know their stuff to a certain extent Aprilia have come and go over the last couple of years they're only kind of getting back to the front now so they're kind of going up against two of the most uh, younger teams that probably don't have as much experience you'd imagine if Honda was in this battle or Yamaha they might have something to do against the Ducati but they're just so far back that they can't really do anything so for the rest of the championship we're going to see probably Binder challenge we'll see Miller we might see Martin some weekends we're going to see a lot of Bezeki and we're going to see a lot of Pego wins and probably front rows and podiums and pole positions and fastest laps he's going to just romp away with it I can tell he's so good can't get over how good he is lately because 
I always knew the speed was there. It's just the fact that now he looks like he's doing it at will, which I didn't think he actually had in him. It's just something I think he's learned in the second year. After being a champion, he's taken it on. I think they, again, we thought we'd go back to Motor 2, Canet winning a race, and his changes could change his career. Becoming a GP World Champion has definitely changed Pecco, and he's so good now. And really, how many titles could he win is what I'm kind of thinking now. Yeah. I I kind of I agree with you on that one. Just he's he's taken that next step and just I know we're gushing so much about Banyard on this podcast, but but you've seen the race, you know why we're doing it. Like I don't think we we've been harsh on him before. We, like, yeah, so we have been. So I think we're... when he's done yeah. a good job, I think we we're going to give him the props for doing the good job. And like I, I'm not you know I'm not going to try and say that like on one race I swing my opinion, but I think this weekend has altered my opinion on Banyard now. I actually probably hold him in a higher regard. Than I did previously, similar to the way I do with Rins now after Austin. I feel like I hold Rins at a, a higher regard than I did before he did that. So, yeah, it is one of those things, just just an amazing weekend. But one of the biggest talking points, I suppose, coming out the weekend is the stewards. Obviously, we mentioned the Martin penalty, and then obviously with Fabio Quattararo and Salvadori in the sprint race, how he got given the penalty straight away, but then obviously Martin got his later on. Again, just the questions about the consistency of the stewards and the weird ways they make decisions. Just, I, I still don't really get them. Like, why they do these things? Like, I don't get. Like, if everybody in that incident crashes at turn one, absolutely fine to investigate it after the race because nobody's still in the race anyway. So, what is the point? Like, I suppose if like if Martin crashes in that, fair enough. Like, go and assess it after the race because he's not in the race anymore. But when he still stayed on. I can see why people are calling for a penalty in that race. I mean, at the end of the day, maybe it was a deliberate decision to penalise him in the main race so that he got more of a penalty, but then Fabio gets penalised for hitting Savadori, which, again, was a, was a strange incident, right? That was very weird, like, the way that happened, but just the, like, the actual crash itself, I mean. Um, I'm trying to think of other situations from the weekend. Do you know if Nepa got a penalty, actually? Um, I don't know if you saw Moto3 qualifying. But he sort of like rolled on the, the yeah, crest. In front of Messiah, yeah. I heard nothing afterwards. Which yeah. That should have been a back to good start for me. Yeah. That should have been yeah, a huge absolutely. penalty. Yeah, unless it was a bike problem. Um, exactly, yeah, yeah, again then. But like, he was on the racing line. Even if yeah. you if the bike stops, you pull onto the grass at that yeah, speed. Yeah. Yeah. You don't stay on the racing line. That could be, that could be a, a helicopter crash if it goes wrong. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm not... Um, that's just one that came to mind, but just weird. Again, they just—I don't understand the choices. Like, in fairness, I actually kind of agree with the penalty decisions they made this weekend. Aside from, I probably have given uh, Martin a single long lap. But if if this, if if they want to be consistent, uh, a double long lap. Sorry, but if if they want to be consistent and only give a single, I don't particularly have a problem with that because they're being consistent. So I can't exactly moan. But just the the way the way and the time they made the decisions seems strange. If you knock a rider off. It's a long lap penalty. Um, yeah. Zacco crashed, Bezecchi crashed, Bastini and Fabio were pretty much out of it. So was Vinales. That's five riders, six riders there nearly that were... The race is a run, we'll say. So if that doesn't qualify for double long lap penalty, I don't really know what does, to be honest. Um, I don't like them not penalising him for in that race. He's made the decision in that race to do something that is against the rules. You penalise him there. You want them in the race to do something special on Sunday. You don't want to. You don't. You don't want to bring a penalty forward that can take them out of a battle because you open up the race. You you make gaps that you don't want at a track already that isn't great for racing and the current bikes don't really go that well there. Um, 
we already touched on Nepa. There has to be a penalty unless again, like Reese says, if it's a mechanical. But again, a lot of things you just don't get any clarity. They don't clarify. There's very little transparency with the shorts. You just a lot of the decisions are that's the decision. We will not clarify why. It took days after Aston to find out why Pedro Costa didn't get a second long lap after it looked like he touched the green. It said nothing. It was nothing was said. They just would not talk about it. Eventually, they we dragged it out of him that from the camera angle, it looked like that, and it kind of uh, long or short, they believed he didn't do anything wrong. But like there was so much controversy immediately after the race that they just went quiet. They said nothing, and they just let it drag on instead of putting it to bed straight away. Yeah, tweet um, that out straight away. Like the picture of like this is why we didn't give him penalty. Like exactly, like it's 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 has or to be better yet, release reports. Like re- exactly, release yeah. report. Yeah. Rider fi- not fifty, not fifty one anymore. Is he rider thirty seven? Pedro Costa, you know, no, didn't have to redo his on that penalty as was served correctly as seen in the screenshot from you know, 10, 48, 58 seconds or something mm. like you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very similar to Ready F1 kind of yeah, put it on. Exactly. I think they actually do quite a good job of that. I mean, again, whether you want to get into their steward decision sometimes a bit weird, but I think generally they're quite transparent about why they've decided to do something. But... Exactly. And I think just they were the opposite where like everything's being closed doors. We're always yeah. being like quiet no, don't don't ask questions why we did that. Like we're that's the decision is final, there's no way we're overturning it. We're not explaining why. There it's there I feel like They've take they're, they're after getting so much slack for so long that they're like, well, we don't have to explain ourselves. We're the stewards. We're going to do what we think is right, and that's it. Our final, our say is final. We're not going to change anything. I think we've, I think since we've started this podcast, we're on what maybe thirty four episodes, thirty five now or something like that. And there's not a podcast I don't think we've not talked about. How I think even in the first episode we were moaning about the stewards. So. <laughs> that's it. Like so it's just, it's gone on for too long now, and I think it's it's a shame that every week we have to nearly end the podcast with stewards or start the podcast with stewards or spend a section on the stewards when it's 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 kind of getting a bit uh, a bit tedious really to have to keep going over these same points at the fact that there's no transparency they don't follow their own rules the inconsistencies the questionable decisions like i'm still confused why peko got a penalty for sitting up jack miller yeah what the hell was that why (laughs) like and again did they explain it did they did they beep? Uh, so no, they didn't do much that week. So and then it was also um, a different penalty than normal. It was a drop place. It wasn't even a long. Lap. I know, I know, I know. It, it like so confusing. I mean, it would have been criminal just... to give him a long lap for that. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like it... exactly. Yeah, I know, I know. I just it's like they're experimenting, but like you, you don't experiment on a race weekend. You don't. You there's a rule book. You follow the rules. What it says in the rule book is what goes. I understand that. Like, okay, fair enough. We'll we'll take the Marini and um Martin one. Some people see that as Martin's fault, some people see Marini didn't give space. There's a bit of debating whether whose fault was that. I think it's widely agreed that Martin went for a bit of a lunge. Marini squeezed him, hoping to stay ahead, and there was a small bit of collision and it was unfortunately crashed. Yeah. It wasn't These um, things happen sometimes. And if there is yeah, debate right. over whose fault it is, then clearly it's not clear enough to actually, you know actually give a penalty. Whereas no one's saying Oh well, clearly that was caused by Zarco at turn one. Like, like no one's saying that, are they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that. So, um, it's it's just the inconsistencies kill me because next weekend, who says that we don't have a big is Catalunya's next? So, what if Nakagami redoes that? He didn't get a penalty for that. Just that. That's another one like that. We go back to last year. It's just just so many instances that you go okay. 
that is the rule for that. Next weekend, it happens again. And they change their mind. They go, oh yeah, that's actually double on that penalty now. We change it over the week off. And they don't explain why. They don't have a public information system that we can figure out why they're making decisions to understand it and like you even under you hear it when you listen to either the world feed tnt or maybe spanish or whatever you whatever media you watch it from it's nearly always the commentators are like what i didn't really that was a penalty that's harsh and they're nearly always going against the stewards which are nine times out of ten in a commentary you have an ex writer usually a top level writer who have been racing at that level so they kind of know themselves what a penalty is and what isn't and it's uh, it's just a shame, really. I think we probably should wrap up the podcast now. It's because we have gone over the ninety minute mark, but it's it's just a shame that each week we have to bring up the stewards and it's killing racing in some aspects because penalties for things that aren't penalties and then questionable decisions, getting stupid penalties and and then straight up penalties. Oh, we'll review it after the race. It's like eh. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there should be exact procedure for, for these. Hundred percent. Like maybe it should be within like. 30 minutes of incident happening on track there needs to be a penalty award or something like that you like yeah yeah something a bit arbitrary like that it's easy to to understand for everybody but like i say yeah we are getting over the uh that 90 minute mark now so we will bring this podcast to a close so despite actually being a bit of a dull race we have quite a lot to talk about mainly uh, a bit of controversial things and obviously a bit of uh just talking about how impressive Banyaya and Binder's weekends were, but <laughs> they needed saying it, needed saying Yeah, you, 100%. you got to do it justice. Like, we'll slate them when they do a bad job, but we'll also applaud them when they do a good job. So hopefully you have enjoyed that one. If you are listening on Spotify, please do rate the podcast five stars. Also, leave a comment. We discovered there was a comment section recently, which we didn't realise. Uh, we have seen the comments, so we, we really like to see some more. If you do want to tell us anything, we will see them. We hadn't seen them previously, but we know where they are now, so... If you do want to leave a comment, it's appreciated. Also, if you're listening on uh, Dill's YouTube channel as well, leave a comment and a like there, because that also helps us out quite a lot. But we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time now then for the Catalan Grand Prix.